All right. Hello and welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. See, I put the, uh, the emphasis on welcome. welcome. Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. I wanted to mix it up. I felt like I, I say that. I noticed as I'm editing these, I say welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show in the same way each week. So I'm like, uh, I'm like that actor that's got a couple of lines and he's really tinkering with it. It's like, like when that episode when, when Kramer had uh, these pretzels are making me thirsty in the Woody Allen movie. Do you remember that one? I know, but I get it. Okay. Yeah. He's like, these pretzels are making me thirsty, Jerry. So, which anyway, so there's, there's my, uh, there's my little contribution to, to acting today. And welcome is such a good word to (laughs) emphasize. It really is. Welcome. 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 We're glad you're here. By the way, speaking of welcome, have you noticed uh, the trend of people saying welcome in when you come into a store? Welcome in. No, I haven't. Yeah, this is a new thing. Yeah. Okay. So watch for that. Now that I've told you that, you're going to notice it's, yeah, it's younger it people. Younger people. Younger people are saying this, but I notice uh, that older people are catching on to it as well. Welcome in. I'm not sure where that came from. It's like, come on in and well, welcome in. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway, kids. Uh, kids. Uh, kids well, you know, they're probably thinking, man, these old dudes don't know what's going on out there. We've been saying welcome in for five years and they're just picking up on it now. All right. <laughs> well, I feel like I'm uh, now initiated in the hip. Properly welcome. You're properly welcomed into the world of young, younger people. Younger people. All right. All right. Anyway, so we are the Cosmic Eye Show. We are. And we are here. I am Jason Napolitano. And I have on the line Mr. Chris Sheridan, and I'm going to actually hand it off to him. Um, I do want to say thank you for the people who are supporting the show and who listen each week. Thank you. Please follow us and support us and share our information with others. Um, if you're getting something out of the show, we need uh, all the support we can get to, to share this ancient wisdom. And we're actually going to talk about that today. Uh, the esoteric and spiritual insights of the ages that we like to discuss, psychology, modern, ancient, etc. But, you know, most of what we're doing here is based on the ancient principles and ancient wisdom that have come 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 down to us through the the eons of time that have passed from our our, our wise and uh, ancient ancestors. Uh, so anyway, we uh, are at cosmiceye.org, or we are at anchor.fm/cosmiceye. So if you go to anchor.fm/cosmiceye, you can support us with a small donation on there, and we would greatly appreciate it if you could do that. We welcome yep. you in. We welcome you in to, to go ahead and make a donation because it keeps us on. And, you know, we, we, we can keep the show commercial free and, you know, keep talking about the great things that we want to each week. And I also like to encourage people that if you do go to anchor.fm slash Cosmic Eye, where our page is, uh, you can also call in or you can leave a message through there. Uh, if you've got some comments or something that you'd like us to talk about, um, you know, we've had a couple of suggestions for shows that we've done in the past, and we appreciate people that have called in and left, uh, left feedback or, you know, left some questions or, or ideas for shows that they wanted to hear about. So do so. Uh, if, you, if you wish to do that, please leave us a message and let us know. All right. So without further ado, Mr. Chris Sheridan. Well, thank you, Jason. And the topic for today is why study the ancient wisdom. Why are we doing this? Why, why even have this podcast about it? I can tell from personal experience, I have been studying ancient wisdom, and we're going to get into a little bit of a description on you know, really what that is. 
mm-hmm. uh, what that covers and maybe what it's not. Uh, when we say ancient wisdom or this esoteric philosophy or symbolic uh, mythology, comparative religion, um, things like that. Uh, but it's something that I have just always been asking the greater questions. And I think really this is kind of at the heart of what ancient wisdom uh, is, is looking at the greater questions of life. You know, the who are we? <laughs> what are we doing here? Where are we going? What do we need to do? Sure. Uh, what bus do we take? Uh, those, uh, those great questions. And they, they're really not sufficiently answered by parents when you're a child, uh, by teachers when you go to school. Uh, in a lot of books, when you go on to, you know, higher uh, education, uh, they seem to be addressed um, by religions that don't seem to have, and these, you know, institutions that have components that don't seem to make sense uh, to a thinking person like myself. And uh, science kind of ignores, uh, looks at some very deep, very important things, uh, but kind of ignores or sidesteps or really even says that these other things that are more invisible uh, and meaningful uh, don't exist or just don't have a place in yeah. science. So at, well, I've talked fine. about before that science isn't even trying to ask those kinds of questions. No. Right? And, it, and because, it shouldn't because it, it yeah. needs to ask the things that it's asking in the way it's asking. Yeah. And that's what uh, makes that's it very, science, very important. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the great, uh, great branches of, of learning. Exactly. Along with, you know, philosophy and, uh, you know, and, and spirituality and religion. Um, so basically, you know, a lifetime of seeking. And then when I do find something, it's a little off the wall. It was Zen or it was Buddhism or something. And then I, you know, learned meditation in the eighties and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a couple books really hit me hard, like the Tao of physics, uh, by Friedhof Capra. And this really, it wasn't really a gateway drug for me because I was already really into this stuff. But this one seemed to really crystallize everything. Like, okay, here's a scientist. Here's a really good author, PhD, who's making sense. And he's talking about the latest cutting-edge science and paralleling it with ancient mysticism, some mm-hmm. of which I was familiar with, a little bit of both. Yeah. Uh, but I always saw these things as diametrically opposed because that's the, the myth that we're taught, um, of our time anyway, is that you know superstition doesn't have a place and science has superseded it, that this paradigm of of thinking uh, in the industrial age. And, uh, but that's again, not sufficient for me, but here's somebody that balanced both. And I was like, wow, it just blew me away that this really made sense that there was something here. And it wasn't just Eastern mysticism. I mean, he was all over the, with I Ching and, uh, you know, Hindu symbolism. It was really uh, far reaching, even mm-hmm. uh, some of the, thinkers um, that are taught in schools like Heraclitus and Plato and Aristotle, uh, philosophers through the ages. Uh, so some of these things are taught, but I just saw the world and myself in it in a whole new way, mm-hmm. uh, that there is you know, legitimate study and discourse. It's not just off the wall or because then you're lost in the wilderness. But I, I really felt a strong connection to some of these um, very studied and well thought out, well uh, spoken uh, teachers and um, experts on uh, just a new way of looking at science, a new way of looking at religion, mm-hmm. uh, a new way of understanding philosophy, and most important, a new way of finding myself in the yeah. world that now here's a pathway 
that makes sense. This does exist. It's sure. not the mainstream. Uh, and then through that to kind of, you know, close this off, uh, it was then it was like a nonstop flow of new age or ancient wisdom, uh, Eastern, as well as Western traditions and mythology and, you know, Joseph Campbell, all everything sure. just sort of, you know, flooded into the, once you kind of turn the key, you know, it, yeah. it opens the door. And, well, you uh, and also, for 30 years, well, I've just been studying this. Yeah. And I know you, you, you've told me before that you didn't really grow up um, with much of a religious upbringing, you know, didn't go to church and so on and really didn't have much encouragement in terms of that when you were young, right? Yeah, I, um, I grew up in Appalachia, but I was raised in academia. Um, so it, I also didn't have a lot of spiritual unlearning to do or spiritual wounds to rest myself from mm -hmm. uh, that some people that maybe that were forced to go to church for the first 18 years of their lives. Mm. Um, I didn't have mine was just, it was a little more open. Uh, so but you still felt a kind of a spiritual yearning for something and a desire to understand something deeper, huh? Oh, absolutely. Uh, from, yeah. From being very young, before I would have even understood church or anything yeah. like that, had I even gone, I was yeah. questioning these things and, you know, lost civilizations I, and art and artifacts from, sure. you know, ancient lands. And, oh, there was a people that lived here and all the ancient Egyptians, you know, looking mm -hmm. at books when I was a kid. Uh, I just knew that there was more to the world uh, that I felt more connected with than was yeah. generally being taught uh, made available in the mainstream or made yes. available yeah absolutely you know it's interesting why my background's you know fairly similar i you know i might we didn't really go to church or you know or temple or anything when i was growing up but i would go it was interesting because you know my, my father was uh grew up as a roman catholic but then sort of you know as later in life kind of identified as a buddhist and you know when he was in the army and when he got out he really didn't have much of a spiritual path he was you know he's i would argue that he was a spiritual person but it didn't you know take up much time i mean he didn't give it give it as much time as he could i probably didn't you know didn't have time you know trying to work and you know care for a family and stuff and all that takes a lot of work and you know especially in the 70s and early 80s when you're you know you're broke but, um, you know, I, I was sort of the same way. And I found myself, you know, one of these kids that, you know, wanted, really wanted to be involved with some sort of spiritual tradition. But, you know, it wasn't really there. You know, the family didn't go to any kind of specific spiritual, uh, you know, endeavor or anything like that. So I would, I would actually go, even from like a very, very young age, with my friends who were members of different churches and synagogues and so I literally went from everything from like a you know we had a it's such a strange thing because the place that I grew up actually had a Buddhist a Buddhist temple there was a Vietnamese Buddhist temple uh, fairly close to my house that I got to go to when I was very young so I went there I went to you know temple synagogue I went to you know Jehovah's Witness you know uh, services and uh, I actually went to uh, uh I didn't really get to go to service, but I got to spend some time with some Mormon friends and, um, you know, and on and on and on, you know, I myself, even when I was really young, like I took, I actually took, speaking of Zen, I took a bus uh, to a Zen, a little Zen center that was in Seattle from my house. I, I was still a teenager at the time. And, uh, you know, I would go there and meditate. I went there 10, 15 times, I think. 
you know, it was a, it was difficult to get down there. I mean, it was a big, I mean, it was like an all day endeavor to get, to get down there You'd take multiple buses and this whole thing. So, you know, so I was, you know, it was funny because that was just a drive from the very beginning. And I think, uh, you know, it still continues to this day, obviously, just like you, you know, I spent the last, you know, 30 years like studying this material deeply and I got my master's degree. You got your master's degree, mm -hmm. um, in, in, uh, you know, in this field as well. And so, you know, obviously it's, it's something that both of us are committed to. And so I'm glad that we're taking the time to talk about like the ancient wisdom and what it is and so on. One thing I did want to say really quickly before I kind of give it back to you is that, um, um, you know, Manly Hall makes a very big distinction uh, between the ancient wisdom and what he calls wisdom in general and knowledge. And he would talk about how, um, you know, Manly Hall, by the way, if, if this is your first time hearing about him, is, you know, he was the founder of the Philosophical Research Society, otherwise known as PRS, which Chris and I were both involved with. Uh, and he's the, and he's mainly, Manly Hall is known for, you know, hundreds of writings and like thousands and thousands of lectures, but his, his, his main and most well-known work is the secret teachings of all ages uh, that you may have seen uh, online, or, you know, you may have seen a copy of it, a big, you know, it's this big giant uh, book with beautiful illustrations and so on. Anyway, he made this distinction uh, between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge, he said, was more sort of materialistic or it was sort of of the day of the earth. You know, knowledge is kind of like our day-to-day -day life stuff that comes out of the culture and the pressures of society. And really, you know, much of what we do to, to gain knowledge is based on the idea that we want to uh, get a job or we want some kind of gain or material benefit from that knowledge some kind of edge over the competition, something like that, right? And so knowledge is really temporal. You know, it's time-based, it's place-based, and it's, you know, it's very materialistic in a lot of ways, you know, just like some of the, like the, some of the findings in science, for example, you know, this week, this cure will be found for this disease, and two years from now, there'll be a much better cure, for example. Or this week, we know that XYZ causes this, and next week, it's, you know, ABC, so, you know, that's sort of this temporal knowledge, whereas the contrast to that is wisdom and particularly the ancient wisdom is what you might call something that's archetypal or timeless, timeless wisdom. That is something that is principles that stand the test of 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 all time. Um, they're out of time and space, in essence, some of these ideas, you know, they're beyond the, you know, kind of day to day existence and they take many forms and different sort of uh, faces, but the underlying truths are, you know, have a capital T type quality to them. In other words, like the truth, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to make light of it when I say that, but it's like something big, you know, it's something meaningful. And the difference between, I think, again, between knowledge and wisdom, particularly the ancient wisdom, is that wisdom, ancient wisdom, give meaning to life. It's not just a piece of information. It's something that in Manly Hall's words, you ensoul. He constantly used that word, and you bring that word up a lot, and I love it. It's something that you've made a part of yourself. You've ensouled it. That, you know, is something that's attached to the ancient or, the, you know, or some wisdom quality. Uh, if you can ensoul it, knowledge you don't ensoul. You know, it's just up in your head, right? It comes and goes. Like, I know, you know, how to program in Python, let's say. Well, Python in 10 years is going to be obsolete, most likely, right? Sure. But 
if you know the principle of, you know, programming and how to do it, you know, it's more of a principle sort of a thing. You can continue on with it, but that, you know, that's sort of analogous to the ancient wisdom. The ancient wisdom is like a principle, whereas knowledge is like temporal. Anyway, that, that's my little two cents on that. So please, uh, please continue. I'm sorry to. Well, speaking of Manly Holland, I'm glad you brought him up. I know we've yeah. talked about him and the secret teachings uh, several times on this podcast and to just throw the name around without really giving something. One yeah. of the reasons why we study him and uh, a reason why I brought uh, him to mind when we're asking why study the ancient wisdom, uh, mainly P. Hall is somebody who dedicated his entire life and career to the ancient wisdom, not only studying it, but speaking about it, uh, writing about it, uh, having a facility, study groups all over the world, um, working with this material because he felt it was underserved and there were a lot of charlatans, as there are at any era and any time. Well, um, this is the 1920s. This is about 100 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And um, this, you know, spiritual snake oil, whatever people are selling, everyone's a guru and just Swamis send your money and, and I yeah. can, I'll send you a certificate. And now you're a shaman and, sure. and things like that. Um, he really uh, felt strongly in the integrity and really the, the honor that the collected wi collective wisdom of yep. our entire race uh, across all countries, cultures, you know, that simply matters, even time, because it's, it's just as current now as it uh, was ancient from clay tablet. Uh, but the fact that people thought about these things, wrote them down, kept them alive in an oral tradition or had to conceal them in yep. some symbolic uh, alchemical uh, drawing or uh, an allegory or a myth or something, just preserve uh, sure. this wisdom and pass it down and try to keep it uh, intact. It's because this wisdom is important. It's, uh, and you're right, it's not the contents of the consciousness. It's not just, you know, flipping to the book and finding the answer because this yep. is wisdom. You don't do that. This isn't, that's information. Wisdom isn't that. Uh, if you flip to the back of the book, looking for the answer, it should have a mirror there. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know looking back at you okay nice, well, what's, yeah. you know, wh wh where is it um you know how is this working in you uh, just like working out or uh, any kind of physical uh you know sport or uh music instrument uh or anything like that becoming a public mm -hmm. speaker it's something you still have to do this yeah. is wisdom that requires you know cross training shoes or something you know you sure, have to sure. you know you may have to roll up your sleeves and break a sweat um and you have to run it through you. So it is notion of ensouling is kind mm -hmm. of like we say, well, oh, somebody embodies something. This yep. is kind of doing the same thing. But instead of just taking it into your body and uh, you know, moving through the world like that, you're really taking it into your soul because it becomes a living thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, another distinction with you know, the ancient wisdom, uh, with maybe modern specialized thought, everything's broken down into experts and avenues and certain disciplines or studies uh, or, you know, concerning one particular part of something. If you have a cold, you might see three different specialists <laughs> to try to fix your runny nose. Uh, but the ancient wisdom was very holistic. Uh, it was very combined. So somebody who was a healer, maybe was also a, a seer, uh, could have been, you know, the local philosopher, mm -hmm. um, as well as a medicine man. So, uh, all the, you know, science and the stars and astrology, they were all together. They, they weren't really separated uh, as they are now. And 
there's something in that unity um, that there's a certain quality uh, because what it does is it help, it helps us feel more connected with it. If mm-hmm. everything is specialized, well, I want to learn this, so I have to go over there and this whole thing over here, uh, but connecting all these things and bringing them together in a holistic way, the way in which they were originally intended. So to study the ancient wisdom and to bring it forth again for another generation, maybe in a new format. We're talking on a podcast now. I'm sure Mamie Hall would have had a podcast if there were such a thief spoke mm-hmm. on the radio in the 20s. Yeah, for sure. So why wouldn't he? It's, uh, uh, loved all media and used them to get the uh, this message out for, for those who want to hear it. Yeah. And One, go ahead. I was just going to say, so, I mean, I, I, before we kind of, you know, keep kind of going into like, you know, um, more about the ancient wisdom. I want to really kind of talk a little bit about, you know, what the ancient wisdom actually is, what we're referring to, because I think it's easy sometimes, you know, for you and I, or for other people, we hear the word ancient wisdom. We kind of know what that means, but if people haven't heard that term before, this is maybe their first time running into it. You know, I want, let's talk a little bit about Mm -hmm. that. I just wanted to kind of set the, set the tone for this. So one of the ideas uh, that Manley Hall and and a lot a lot of occultists and esoteric uh, thinkers and philosophers going you know back to the Greeks and even beyond. There's the idea that there is um, this ancient stream of wisdom that flows through all religions. So basically, this idea is that it's closely allied to the idea of ancient mystery schools, and these are all pr- sort of. I want to say that they're prehistorical. There is not a lot of historical records about these things. So this, this involves ideas and, and sacred stories and mythology that concern Atlantis, Lemuria, Mu, and some of these ancient civilizations that are hypothesized by different, different ideas. I you know, tend to think there's truth to these ideas. I, you know, we don't know, like, are, you know, exactly are they history or are they mythology? We don't really know about that, but I do Personally, I believe that there were very, very wise civilizations that pre preclude, you know, pre preexisted uh, our civilization. I don't think we are the pinnacle, you know, the pinnacle of understanding. I think there were other wise civilizations, you know, eons before us and things. That's just my opinion. Uh, but the idea is then, then in the esoteric tradition that this wisdom existed, you know, far beyond what we before what we think is recorded history and so on it's been passed down and passed down from you know mouth to ear through mystery schools and through different traditions and you see like and it includes you know in more modern movements like the rosicrucians and kabbalists and alchemists and then it goes back into ancient greece and the mystery schools and the orphic traditions and you know ritual magic and and you know and all and this sort of uh, this sort of trajectory, you know, in the East, that would go back to the, you know, the, 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 the ancient um, temples and monasteries in Tibet and in China and Taoism and, you know, pre, pre-Buddhist thinking and early Buddhist thinking. And, you know, it's, this is all, these are all streams of this ancient wisdom in different forms. So the idea is there is this sort of one stream that these all come from and, and different cultures and races have picked them up in different ways and kind of like express them in different ways, but they reflect 
uh, a sort of archetypal truth underneath them that has been passed down for countless generations, far beyond what we, you know, think of as being, you know, recorded history and so on, what's accepted as recorded history today and so on. So it's kind of an, a little outline. I mean, I feel free to add more. I just wanted to kind of, you know, contextualize ancient wisdom for those who might not be familiar with it. Do you have anything to add? Well, to that? sure. It's, uh, you know, in addition to all the spiritual traditions uh, and philosophic uh, ways of thought, um, you know, the healing arts, um, you know, the myths and the stories that have been passed down, they all move towards a, a, a certain goal. Yes, they may all stem from the same uh, branch or they may branch out from, the, you know, a central uh, tree or source uh, like a river. And these are all tributaries and streams coming out from that. Uh, but they also serve a similar purpose. They're to instruct us on who we are and how it is we can live in this world. And beyond you know, maybe some of the ways we think now in a materialistic viewpoint, uh, there was a broader sense of who we are as beings that, you know, the dreamland, the dream time, uh, when we're asleep at night, there's, that's just as real a world. Uh, there are invisible forces and perhaps even creatures like we talked about on the last podcast on oh, the uh, elementals, the elemental yes. show, yeah. That inhabit the space around us, that there's maybe an ether uh, through which everything is promulgated. Maybe this ancient wisdom is just out there for anybody and everybody. If you can tune in your mm. radio station to the, the records, you can um, you know, download or you can you know, read or hear yep. uh, this wisdom. Uh, it's innately in all of us, perhaps, that we have this uh, part of ourselves that is more of an unfolding uh, nature than as a pathway to wisdom instead of the kind of the current model is that you, yeah. you know, pull back somebody's cranium and you dump in a bunch of information in their head. Sure. Um, and then, well, okay, and that, now you're learned. Now you, you yeah. know something. This is more unfolding from what, yes, it takes outside knowledge and you have to have instruction, but that's all to go into inside yeah, uh, where something happens, and well, it, has it to turns be from information, upon, doesn't it? it has to also you have to have an experience. You have to have a visceral experience that, with it, and, and you've got to apply it to your life. And that's one thing that I think Manley Hall makes explicitly clear in his work is that you know you're required not to just learn some information, but to do something with it, to become a a better person, to be of service to others, to you know, do things like, you know, curb your, curb your tongue when you want to criticize other people and be a kind person and take the high road and forgive others and do the things they talk about in religion, live those principles, not just, you know, talk about them or learn about them or just take a self-care day or just even believe you know, in them. Belief it only gets you so sure. far as well. Sure. I mean, yeah, that's where it starts. You've got to you got to have some kind of a foundation of belief and faith in these in these principles. But then you've got to begin to apply them. And you know, he talks a lot about and on all these esoteric schools talk a lot of like a probationary period or a student period. They usually have their systems broken up into three levels. Like there's a student, and then a disciple, and then an initiate level. You know, and at a student level you know, you're kind of like banging around in the dark trying to figure out, you know, what you're doing and you're reading all this information and maybe you're starting a practice of, 
you know, introspection and meditation and you're working on your, your day-to-day living and trying to be a better person, you know, and, and much of this information is, you know, it's designed, it's designed for spiritual, spiritual internal growth, but it also, you know, the practical side of it is that you're, you're living a better life. You're being a good person, quote unquote, and you're being a person of value. And that is something that's not stressed in the knowledge world and in the material world. It's, you know, it's like, well, how can I learn some information so that I can get a leg up on the other guy or I can have a competitive advantage over this other person? It's not about I want to develop from within so that I can be of service and be humble and and give of myself. Right. And I think that's what the ancient wisdom demands of you in order for you to sort of progress up the levels of it. And that's why it's a challenging it's a challenging proposition for most people because even just to read something, for example, like the secret teachings or to go back and read Plato and read these different dialogues or to read, you know, Eliphas Levy's, you know, book on transcendental magic or some of these, you know, 18th and 19th century works that are so valuable. It's, it's a challenge. The vocabulary is much broader and you know it's they're they're difficult reads if you're not used to that sort of reading and you might need a dictionary you might need to look things up um, you might need to check references to particular mythology that you're not familiar with you know people had a different education 100 and 200 300 500 years ago they had a much different type of education it was more it was more based on philosophy and you know and poetry and and classical mythology and they would study the bible and latin and greek and you know most people that were educated had that basis for their understanding so that these things would all be um it would be like you know talking to people about what's on tv today you know if you you know what i'm saying and that's the difference is our educational system is so vastly different than it was 200 years ago that you know this work does require a lot of of effort sometimes but that's part of the process. That's part of the progress. Going back and taking something like the secret teachings or the or Blavatsky's secret doctrine, and just plodding through it and really working on it and reading it and having a dictionary and looking words up on Google that you don't know or whatever, and and taking the time to really go through stuff slowly, go through stuff slowly. Such a great thing, and you know I've said this before, and I know you like this saying, but make haste slowly with this with this ancient wisdom. You know, take your time with it, in other words. Um, anyway, that's uh, my, my little, sorry, my little aside there, but I just wanted to kind of share that. I don't mean to get you off track. No, that is that is the, the track. And it is true that this uh, information, this wisdom, it, it, is, it can be challenging, but yep. it can't be inaccessible. Yep. Otherwise, it's, you know, the greatest spiritual truths and the most wonderful philosophic beliefs and ideals um, really are worthless unless we can make worth of them unless yep. they can be applied to our lives. Sure. And on some level, just the everyday person, um, you shouldn't have to be at least to understand or benefit uh, from this wisdom uh, really at any level. Now they say there's milk for babes and meat for men. There may be different mm-hmm. levels. Are you talking about the different levels of a student, um, a disciple, an initiate, an initiate yeah. um, you know, as, as there is with, with anything you want to study, if you're a musician mm-hmm. or if you're, uh, you know, learning ancient poetry or, or whatever. I mean, there's, yep. you know, you get your bachelor's, your master's, your, you know, you, you have levels anyway, uh, but they're useful at any level for whatever level a person is who can yep. benefit um, 
from this ancient wisdom. So yes, it takes, and it takes, you know, like you're saying a little different mindset. Uh, I think we've, just like we've lost touch with um, the earth and nature. A hundred years ago, a lot of people knew how to garden and farm and to fix things and uh, pluck a chicken and, you know, things most, we wouldn't, most wouldn't people, dream of doing uh, yeah, today. Most people did. Most people could kill an animal and pluck a chicken, you know, grow vegetables, make their own clothing, make candles, make soap. You know what I mean? Yeah. They yeah. could. Yeah. Um, that's this normal stuff for everyday stuff. The things that, that era was probably starting to end about it was years ago. It was but up until then, yeah. yeah, it was very, if not, you knew somebody, you just knew because you were around it. Even if you didn't farm or actually pluck the chicken, you can, you oh, saw sure, sure. It. You know, you weren't that but the bulk of, from it. The bulk of people though, lived an agrarian lifestyle, you know, well up to, you know, a hundred years ago, that's for sure. And then the migration to the cities and the, you know, the jobs and the factories and stuff started, but, but yeah, absolutely. Right. So, and in a similar way, yeah. uh, just as in modern society, maybe we've lost a little uh, touch with, you know, the natural forces and really everyday occurrences that happen throughout the seasons. We've also lost touch. Uh, I think with that symbolic site, uh, yeah. the more philosophic or mystic or really broader way of, of looking at things, the, you know, well, it's, it's, it's in, in being in touch with the, what, what, what Eliade would call the sacred, you know, the sacred versus the profane in essence, you know, the sacred is all around us. Obviously everything is sacred, but until you begin to recognize that, you know, you see the sacred manifested in certain objects or in certain things, but, you know, in certain stories and feelings and, and so on. But, um, you know, learning to, to live with that mindset, sort of what, what I'd call a sacred or mythological mindset, where you begin to see all those things all around you all the time. You recognize that life itself is, is a mysterious miracle every single moment. Everything we do that we take for granted is miraculous. Driving a car and getting somewhere safely. Um, <laughs> the fact that you have water on tap that doesn't kill you. The fact that you know, we don't blow each other up with nuclear weapons at any given moment. Thank the good Lord. Um, the fact that, you know, just things most of the time work, you know, most of the time, everything's pretty okay. These are miraculous things. You know, the fact that a seed can grow up from the earth and we don't have to do anything. We just put it in there and throw a little water on it. And then the, the natural forces, the miraculous natural forces behind all of this just does all of this stuff for us. I mean, it's amazing, but we, we become kind of accustomed to it, you know, and it's like the, uh, you know, becomes ordinary to us and we don't see any, 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 you know, kind of miraculous experience in this, in this day-to-day -day life. We have to sort of re-sacralize or re-mythologize our lives. And really that's what the ancient wisdom was all about was, you know, living according to those invisible principles and making them a part of our lives so that we have meaning in our lives. You know what I mean? And, and that's, I think, where people find themselves kind of adrift today because there's all these competing philosophies and they say, well, all these religions are different and they're telling me different ideas. And, you know, we're looking for the differences in things. We're a nation and a world of critics. You know, we're trained from the time we get into school to the time we leave school, the time we get into work, every minute of the day, we're critiquing everything. You know what I mean? We're not being co-creators. We're not being mystical participants. 
most of the time. We're not in awe of the fact that we're alive. We're critiquing everything. And it, that's a, and sort of an academic way of looking at things. Whereas the ancient wisdom was about looking at principles that exist, you know, like below the surface and um, are universal and putting ourselves in harmony with those things. Like the law of cause and effect, as an example, we want to call karma that exists. You know, what you do, you know, comes, comes back to you in some form or another, you know. So you show, you know, how you sow, so shall you reap. These sorts of sayings, right? That's a universal principle. Every religion has that idea in it. Ignore it at your own peril. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, and there's a reason for it. It's not it just some idea that, you know, caught fire and, and everyone got on board with it. It's no. there's very practical and very purposeful uh, reasons um, behind these ways of thinking. And uh, also, I think what you're talking about is um, these things in, that around us in our everyday life, uh, they need to be re-enchanted in a way. They yeah, just exactly. become things. Exactly. Uh, kind of dead things. And if I move these things around over here, we'll mm -hmm. have more of those. And it's very, very external, very material, very thing oriented. Uh, and with you know the outlook of the ancients that all these things were connected. Now they could distinguish. Yeah. Say if you take uh, the I Ching or something in China, there were eight principles and mm -hmm. they were four pairs of opposites, fire and water, heaven and earth, you know, light and dark, yeah. yin and yang. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, uh, but they were all connected together They're and they connected. all interplayed with each other. Yes. Uh, so there's a systems theory and, you know, the interactive effect. Uh, you, you're right. I think, you know, culture and materialism and, you know, we, we've needed to because the industrial age and some of these things are kind of naturally occurring. Even our separation from nature is, quote, naturally occurring because we've introduced this mechanized machine. And now we've now we're looking at the world through the lens of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, it should really kind of be going the other way. Uh, yeah. We and what we're doing with them uh, with a more holistic uh, viewpoint. Well, exactly. Trying to extract out because now we look at our bodies as a machine and, and mm -hmm. there are aspects to it. So there's a reason for it. But the reverse is actually true. We have invented machines because they conform to our bodies of the yep. things that we see in nature. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Not the, they're not informing nature. These things were informed, the robot, the car, uh, those were informed by even communication devices. Um, all have some grounding in nature. And like you said, in these universals and what's below them, we may see the different form. Oh, this looks so much different than that. Different. Well, no, they're just wearing different hats. Um, you know, they have yeah. different color coat on. Uh, the white the cowboy hat is the good guy and the black cowboy hat is the bad guy. Mm -hmm. um, it's, but what's underneath it? Um, yeah, exactly. Really and how it all fits together, the whole holistic big picture stuff and all that stuff that you were talking about, too. You have to look yeah, at all that. Yeah, nothing's in a vacuum. Seattle's this web of life. It's an interconnected. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. It's very alive. Web. It's very interconnected. And, and that's the, the gift also that I think we can bestow upon ourselves by studying this ancient wisdom is this interconnectivity. None of us are alone. Yeah, you know, we are all connected. We are, and we're also connected 
to the big source. Now, it may be unsettling. Oh, we're all connected with each other. Well, if you don't like your neighbor, or your friends, or <laughs> the people on TV, yeah. uh, you're probably not going to want to be interconnected with them, even though you are. Uh, and, but the plus side of that is we are also individually connected to the one source. So we have this, not only this brotherhood, but there is in sisterhood uh, with those around us, but there uh, is this connection to the, the mother earth and the, the father sky god that, yeah. that we are connected to this one source, this perennial philosophy, this, you know, well, current, the beauty undercurrent is, that runs throughout. Exactly. And the beauty is, is that there is an undercurrent of wisdom running throughout all this material. So you can either take sort of a, a microcosmic or macrocosmic view of the thing. You can go kind of a top-down view, which like, for example, if you want to try to see the laws and see all these different uh, historical movements and different types of um, expressions of spirituality and religion. Like you could read a book like the secret teachings that shows you how those ancient wisdom principles play out in different civilizations at different times, you know, whether it's the Egyptians or, you know, native Americans or whether it's, you know, during Rosicrucian time and, you know, in Germany and, and, and England and some of those Rosicrucian groups that arose after, after it came out of Germany, um, you know, or, you know, in the modern occult revival during, uh, you know, the 19th century with uh, the Golden Dawn and the OTO and, you know, and the, and the AA Crowley's group and, and so on. And, you know, all of these different offshoots and modern Rosicrucian groups up to today, you know, and then you're talking about, you know, Freemasonry and all, all of these groups are, you know, trying to express in a localized way this ancient wisdom philosophy. So you can either study those specific things, you know, unto themselves. I'd call that a microcosmic level, and you can look up and then see the, the macrocosm, or you can look up from a top-down view, like by doing something like reading The Secret Doctrine, Blavatsky's book, or reading Manley Hall's uh, uh, um, Secret Teachings of All Ages. Um, even a book like, you know, it's a modern sort of interpretation of hermetic principles like the Kabbalion, K-Y-B-A-L-I-O-N by three initiates, um, which is most likely uh, Atkinson and possibly Paul Foster Case. Uh, they're, they're not really sure. But it's a fantastic reinterpretation of the hermetic laws, very readable, very understandable to get to those principles. That's sort of a top-down version. Or read, you know, anything on on any of these traditions, Kabbalah, al alchemy, um, you know, Platonism, Neoplatonism, Greek mystery religions, uh, you know, Tibetan Buddhism. These are all, you know, expressions of this ancient wisdom, mystical Christianity, you know, as I said, Rosicrucianism, ritual magic, any of this stuff is, is all applicable uh, and will get you to the root of these, these principles. But, you know, looking for these principles and trying to find these meanings and these these underlying currents and wisdoms, you know, will get you to a place of meaning in your life and you'll get, it'll get you out of a knowledge mindset. Knowledge is, 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 like I said, it's temporal and it's material and it comes and goes. And what is good knowledge today? Tomorrow will become obsolete. But wisdom and sold is something that gives meaning to your life that will last in this life and beyond. That's the difference. It's not something temporal or something, you know, it's not a fad. It's not this week I'm really into, 
you know, this video game or this week I want to be on a, a V I'm, I want to be a vegan or I'm into macrobiotics. And next week it's that it's principles, you know, it would be instead embracing the principles of a healthful lifestyle with moderation and, 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 and mindfulness. That's a, more of a principle. The specifics of it are the, you know, the, the, no, you know, the knowledge base information. So, you know what I mean? Does it, is that, does that make sense? I don't know if I'm getting to what I wanted to say, but I just, is that, does that, does that make sense to you? Well, I do. And that's what uh, Heraclitus called the, the ancient Greek philosopher called the hidden harmony uh, that underneath it all, that there is, yeah. there's not just a common source, but you know, the goal in a lot of this ancient wisdom is to be in harmony with that, with the, even if our civilization and our society, uh, because of its artificial constructs, some of them necessary, some of them, sure have unnecessarily gone beyond their usefulness and uh, become destructive, uh, even if it flies against that, is to be in tune. Uh, so we're not in tune with the seasons anymore so much, maybe in, in, in areas there are. But, yeah. um, but in that flow, in that life flow, that we are all here uh, learning and growing. Uh, we are all finding our own way. Uh, we are all in some ways lost. <laughs> That's sure. why we look to the stars. We look to gurus, we look to, you know, a significant other um, or just the next thing or materialism mm -hmm. success to try to fill that hole, to try to find that way back home. Yeah. And the ancient wisdom really you know, centers around that. You know, what, what is the path home and what is the home? And the home is to one's own soul. It's reconnecting with our own selves. It's not yeah. out there. And that is the big allegory. That is the thrust of the ancient wisdom is that it's, you could travel far and wide and see bizarre and strange mystical practices and eat weird food and learn all kinds of things. Uh, but it's actually much closer to home. It's actually, the journey is really the one you take to connect with your own soul. And by doing so, you are connected with the soul of the universe. Uh, yeah. And it really isn't, you're not really, even though it seems like you're getting or traveling to something, it's, it's really that you're realizing who you actually are. You're, you know, you're a, div you're a divine, you know, spirit having a, a spiritual experience, as they say. And that's kind of one of those new age platitudes that gets thrown around a lot. But it's a significant statement when you really think about it. It's quite a bit different than thinking of yourself as just this material being that, you know, has some, you know, it's a body that, you know, creates some thoughts and feelings. And, you know, I live out my life in this in this experience. And, and you know, that's that. But if you really truly think like, hey, there's and feel and understand and, and soul the idea that I am something greater than this and my home is in the infinite and I'm, you know, temporarily, you know, this consciousness is residing in this, you know, materialistic body, this, you know, this vessel of clay that some people say, things, things like that, that, but behind that is this, you know, this ultimate eternal kind of infinite energy and consciousness. And, you know, I just sense, you know, to have this experience of being an individual human being, I have this sense that I'm, I'm, I'm separate. I'm, I'm alone. I'm different. You know, and I think that's where, you know, as you gradually realize, you know, when you go within and you take time to do meditation and you study this work and you see the same, 
you know, lessons over and over again in different ways that you are what you're looking for. And not an ego, egotistical or sort of like, you know, like I am, you know, I am this great golden God, you know, or something like this, but I am part of this mystery and I am infinitely larger than I, you know, appear to be at, at, at my true spiritual base. When you can start to get a glimpse of that, and start to feel that and really understand it, it's a complete, you know, 180. It's a completely different way of looking at life. And then the stuff that made you so upset and you were so attached to, and, you know, we're, you're so bound to all of these, oh, I lost my job, or I lost my girlfriend, or this or that happened to me, or I, you know, got sick, or I got in a car accident, or these things that happened. You know, there's still, obviously, it's not fun to go through that. But when you realize there's something bigger and you're attached to some interconnected whole and something that has meaning to it, it makes those little blows and bumps and, and challenges and even the great, you know, heart rending, you know, uh, issues that come up in your life. They just, they become, they become easier to bear when you have meaning, you know, you can, you, and that's, that's what studying the ancient wisdom, I believe does for you. I think that's the greatest thing that it does for you. You know, like you said, it reacquaints you with yourself. You look into that mirror and you see something, something larger. You see what's behind what you're looking at. We're so much sense. more than, than we think we are and, re- yeah. and believe that we are. It's uh, it's really, yeah. you know, a belief, a belief in the sense that you're embodying the belief that you, uh, that informs everything you do like a paradigm. Yeah. It is a different paradigm. And it's, um, you said 180, it's almost like an inside out here. <laughs> it's like a reversible yeah, garment true. or something. It's like, yeah, you're flipping. Wow. Completely it's, it's sure. completely flipped. Now you still have to go through the world and you're still going to suffer Absolutely. Uh, from the toils and troubles of, uh, well, and you're and, also going to have the joys and the, and the triumphs and you're going to, you know, you can still participate in the material world. You know, you still have your goals. You still have a family. You still mm-hmm. have your friends. And but all you somehow things. live in two worlds. You, two worlds. You are connected time. with a, a much higher, much deeper, a much more secure. Because a lot of the troubles in life are usually based around a fear or uncertainty, mm-hmm. or some impending doom, or uh, just even feeling insecure, or that you that there isn't something to grab onto. Uh, yeah. This gives, you know, and it sounds vague, you know, because I know it's a lot of invisible stuff, but it is just as tangible, if not more tangible than than something um, that's real or that you can, you know, touch or feel. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, exactly. this affects everything. You're changing the recipe. You're really changing the whole way of looking at things. Uh, yeah. And yes, the, the, the bad things don't seem quite as bad, uh, but, but they still are, but you're equipped to deal with them and they're seen as part of this life and well, you learn you also learn you don't just keep making the same mistakes over and over again you're consciously aware of what you're doing and you what and how and your part in the the problem yeah. and then you begin to make choices that's wisdom that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom knowledge is hey there, this thing keeps happening to me wisdom is like hey this thing keeps happening to me and i'm you know, I'm responsible for it. So I need to change some of these ways I'm looking at things and the way that I'm acting and the, and the, you know, maybe the immature views that I have and so on. Right. Well, you take an active part in uh, the unfoldment of your destiny. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. If you don't, then it will just be fate, just whatever, you know, you dealt, but your destiny is something you can actually grab onto. You can ride it. 
you have to yeah. tame it like a bull or something. Um, but eventually you can actually pull it uh, to the degrees that we can. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't want to open up the free will versus determinism debate because that's a whole other uh, uh, question, although it's question. very much yeah, uh, exactly. linked in with this. For sure. Um, but to recall uh, Sri Aurobindo, the uh, great Indian uh, philosopher and mystic from the 20th century, uh, he believed we had what he called sevenfold ignorance. Um, and he related that in the sense to the seven deadly sins uh, and that original sin in his book, uh, literally and figuratively, was uh, original ignorance. And that ignorance is not knowing who you are. There you go. Not yeah. realizing of the taboo against knowing who you truly are. I think it's the name of uh, Alan Watts' book or something, um, or subtitle. Uh, that that is really the problem. That is um, the, the sin uh, from which all other sins come out and troubles mm -hmm. and snakes and, and things that get you because, uh, because you think too small of yourself. Now, a lot of us think too big, <laughs> uh, bigger than our britches um, about our ego self. Uh, but that's, that's a different matter. What matters yeah. is how we really view ourselves as a much larger, much more complete being that what we see in the mirror and, and the things that we go about and do during the day is only one small part of a much larger existence. Uh, that we are all the heir and benefactors of our collected history. Yeah, yeah, and you see and that our spiritual continuity. destiny. You see that continuity and that connection and that interconnected sense of meaning. And I think that when you can do that, you know, it brings it brings a it brings a greater sense of consciousness and um, confidence in yourself and peace. And as I said, meaning, I don't want to keep overusing that word meaning, but it's one of the things that I think is, you know, missing from a lot of people's lives is a sense of purpose and meaning. I mean, you may have some vague goals and you may want to make some money or get this or that job or, you know, attain this or that position, whatever you're trying to do or win this or that medal. But, you know, the meaning uh, behind that stuff in your life is really what gives it its kind of juice and its vitality. Um, and that meaning is connected to these larger questions like what am I giving? How am I being of service to others? You know, what really is my true passion and the true, you know, soul desire that I have, not just this ability to or desire to make a living, but how do I create a vocation for myself so that I'm doing something in my life that is truly imbued with 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 meaningful existence, you know, and that it, you can really it brings a joy to your life that like you just can't really fathom when you're mucking around and just trying to get by with a bunch of knowledge and try to you know kind of soothe yourself like with you know a couple of drinks at night or playing some video games to blow off some steam or whatever and all that stuff's not isn't bad but having this underlying meaning to your life and finding it you know and finding out what makes you and you know others tick and stuff that's really what what makes life worth living. And it, you know, it kind of gives you a sense of purpose and, and abilities and connections to spiritual understandings that you wouldn't have had before. And, you know, in, in the, in these esoteric traditions, you know, as you gain mastery over your own life and you prove yourself worthy, you know, spiritual 
beings may come to your aid or may speak to you in ways that you had never, you know, imagined before. And, you know, new insights might come to you clairvoyantly or whatever, you know, whatever may happen. You don't need to go seek after those things, but those things will unfold as they should as you as you study and you perfect your own life. That's the idea. You know, that's the idea. So anyway, we are about to the end of this, unfortunately. And I, that was a great topic. And thank you for, for leading the show today, Chris. I really appreciate it. Oh, sure. Um, so let's leave them with something. I want to give, give a couple of things and then you can give a couple of things. As I said, Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manly Hall. Just, you got to own it. You got to buy it and you got to read it. It's genius. And, you know, you can read it from front to end or you can pick a chapter that really interests you and, you know, read it. And it will give you this entree into the world of the ancient mysteries and, and an overview. And it's really it's designed as an encyclopedia, but it's very readable and it's very enjoyable. And he's a beautiful writer and just, a, you know, a, a very uh, he imbues the book with a very mystical quality, the imagery in it the symbolism in it, the writing in it, the quotes that he uses. And so it's just, it's genius. You just have to own it. Uh, another one that's really interesting uh, that he wrote, that's a small pamphlet that's easily available on Amazon as well as what the ancient wisdom expects of its disciples. That's by Manly Hall as well. So those are my two recommendations. Do you have anything uh, kind of practical ideas and, or, or sources that people can, can study to, to get more into the ancient wisdom and begin to investigate that stream of, of meaning well you know i think we cover that a lot uh, on some yeah. level with this podcast it seems to be a yeah in general right that yeah threads through you know wisdom sources as well as the, you know, the practical application um in your everyday life uh but i think today what we you know we've really talked about is um the importance of it that it's it's not just important to you and your life and that's very important um yeah. but seeing this connection, feeling this connection uh, with the ancient wisdom, it's, it's part of our eternal family. Uh, it's yeah. part of your heritage. It's our birthright. Um, and thus being connected, um, we are connected. Uh, so our lives do matter, no matter what we yeah. do. If it's one small thing, well, it's part of the whole collective. And, you know, every... Well, and it radiates out, doesn't it? It's so like if we make positive changes in our lives and we do things and we become a better, you know, receptacle for the divine and, you know, become a kind person and, you know, have this positive energy that's kind of, you know, flowing out of us, it, it, it does have an effect on all the people around us. And then that has an effect on all the people around them. And it really is a, it's a network so that, you know, change your little corner of your world, which is you, and you really do help change the world. Yeah, you can be out there, you know, trying to help people that are homeless and, you know, helping starving people in developing countries and whatever. All this is fantastic. But also work on yourself within. Work on yourself within and that will radiate outward and help create a better world too, right? Absolutely. Very well put. All right. All right. Well, let's leave them on that then. Uh, again, thank you, Chris, for, for for taking on that great topic and, and putting the outline together and really, really creating a great show for us today. I appreciate it. Sure. And thank you for being here every week, man. I, I love appreciate, it. I appreciate your presence. All right. So we are the cosmic eye show. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'm your host, Jason Napolitano. And that was Chris Sheridan leading us through the uh, show today. Um, and Chris's book is uh, the spirit in the sky. That's available at chrissheridan.com or on Amazon. My book is if you can worry, you can meditate available on Amazon or at cosmiceye.org. And actually, we need to put your book up on cosmiceye.org. 
I yeah. haven't done that. Right. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. Sorry. Uh, but the point is, is that uh, please uh, support us if you can, uh, both by buying our books uh, and uh, and supporting us financially on uh, Anchor.fm slash Cosmic Eye C O S M I C E Y E. You probably know that because you saw it when you when you clicked on it. But uh, you know we're there, and we can we can use your help and talk to your friends, share share if you can uh, the podcast on you know on Facebook, on social media, and so on. We encourage you to be a part of this team and a part of this family so we can get this information out there. And that's how we create a better world. You know, we start with ourselves, we share stuff, we create our own stuff. Maybe we're inspired and we start our own podcast or our own blog or, you know, our own little, you know, nonprofit organization to help, you know, share the information or what have you. But, you know, we can only do this together. Right. And so we're, you know, we're trying to be here each week to encourage uh, you guys and, you know, to encourage ourselves as well, you know, cause we get a lot out of doing this podcast and we thank you for listening. So have a great week. Uh, you know, be your best study this ancient wisdom and, uh, you know, be worthy of, uh, of, of, of its, uh, of its principles and embody them and soul them in your lives. So thanks for listening. Uh, goodbye and God bless.